We would like to take a moment to thank our sponsor, Preborn. When a mother meets her baby on an ultrasound and hears their heartbeat, it's a divine connection. And the majority of the time, she will choose life. But she can't do it without our help. Preborn needs us, the pro-life community, to come alongside her. One ultrasound is just $28. To donate, dial pound 250 and say the keyword baby or visit preborn.com. Jenna Ellis in the morning on American Family Radio. I love talking about the things of God because of truth and the biblical worldview. The U.S. Constitution obligates our government to preserve and protect the rights that our founders recognize come from God, our creator, not our government. I believe that scripture in the Bible is very clear that God is the one that raised up each of you and God has allowed us to be brought here to this specific moment in time. This is Jenna Ellis in the morning. Well, good morning and happy Friday to everyone. And it is, yay, the weekend before Thanksgiving. So um, it'll be really great to spend Thanksgiving next week with uh, friends and family. And I hope everyone has a blessed and safe and happy Thanksgiving. And uh, sometimes on Fridays, as those of you who listen to the show regularly know, we like to take kind of a um, a 30,000-foot perspective uh, from just uh, zoning in on on the news of the day, politics um, that we typically do, kind of the Monday through Thursday, and talk about important um, broader issues. And today we're going to focus on education and particularly. Uh, what is going on in the capture of our institutions, uh, particularly schools, by the Marxist radical leftists? And so joining me now to talk about where we are in the whole uh, school choice debate and all of that is uh, one of the greatest advocates for school choice, Corey DeAngelis, who is a senior fellow at School Choice Now and a visiting fellow at the Hoover Institute and also has a brand new book coming out in May of 2024, The Parent Revolution. So, Corey, thanks so much for joining. Hey, Jenna. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, so I think it's so great how the left consistently attacks you because you know that you are totally over the target um, by saying, you know, basically that you're the the greatest threat to uh, the institution of you know, public institutions and state funded schools. Um, that's that's such a, a wonderful compliment, actually. So where are we at in terms of um, funding students, not systems, as you very aptly put it? Yeah, really, we should thank Randy Weingarten and the teachers unions for overplaying their hand and waking parents up to the woke garbage in the government schools all across the country. We've now had 10 states go all in on school choice in just two years alone. So that's one in five states. 20% of states have, have passed universal school choice. All families in those states, regardless of income, background, zip code, can now take their children's state-funded education dollars to the education provider they're choosing, whether that's a public school, private school, charter school, or a home-based education option. And the most recent one was North Carolina, the first state to do so without a GOP trifecta. Uh, But the governor, it's not because he went along with it. Roy Cooper is a hypocrite on school choice, doesn't, doesn't support it. He even declared a state of emergency over school choice this year. Like, talk about abuse of emergency powers. After he sent his own daughter to private school, which I don't blame him for, but he shouldn't pull up the ladder from behind him, himself and his family and fight against school choice for others. But every single Republican in North Carolina signed on to the bill to go universal on school choice, giving them just enough votes, 60 percent of each chamber, 
to override what was going what was an expected veto from Roy Cooper. So we we've just had a a a, a large amount of momentum towards school choice because families they're upset about what they've seen in the classroom. They don't want the gender ideology crammed down their children's throats. They don't they don't want critical race theory. They just want education, not indoctrination. So parents are, are seeking alternatives, and they're finally being empowered with them. Uh, one of the first states to go universal over the past couple of years was Arizona. They did so with one-seat GOP majorities. Every Republican showed up and voted for, for school choice in Arizona. And uh, – they, they've had 70,000 families sign up for the program, whereas last year, before they went universal, they only had about 10,000, so a seven-fold increase. Uh, that shows that, that families want it. Absolutely. And I'm speaking with Corey DeAngelis, who's the author of the brand new book coming out soon, The Parent Revolution, Rescuing Your Kids from the Radicals Ruining Our Schools. And, you know, you mentioned the the declaration of emergency, uh, you know, over um, over education. And it is such a ridiculous exercise in uh, just this broad claim of power through emergency powers that were never intended for this purpose. And it seems like, Corey, that so many of the leftist executives want to simply declare an emergency over conservatives winning. I mean, that that's really the, the issue that they see as an emergency. That's exactly it. He was just having a temper tantrum because he knew all the Republicans signed up and he couldn't veto their bill to empower all families with education freedom. You'd think he would have declared a state of emergency over, I don't know, maybe the 15 percent proficiency rate in U.S. history among U.S. students that had just come out before he declared that emergency. But no, his his larger uh, threat is that he knows that when parents have a choice, politicians like him who are authoritarians won't be able to control the minds of other people's children and his campaign donors, the teachers unions, the monopoly would be threatened by families getting to vote with their feet. And if you look at Randy Weingarten's union, the American Federation of Teachers, 99% of their campaign contributions went to Democrats in 2022. And it's been like that for decades, for, for at least three decades and um, that's the real problem here. The, the teachers unions have become an arm or have been for a long time an arm of the Democratic Party. And that's why Roy Cooper was upset um, uh, because of his uh, threat to political power. Yeah, and, and I think we are truly waking up as conservatives to see how much the teachers unions have been an arm of the Democratic Party and pushing this radical leftist agenda. And so um, you mentioned shortly before uh, we started the program that um, there's also a bill coming up for a vote today in Texas. Yep. Um, so talk about that as well, why that's um, really historic. It is historic, I, and I live in Texas. I'm here in San Antonio. I, I grew up here. It's uh, it's my home. And uh, for the first time in nearly two decades, since 2005, the Texas House Education Committee passed a private school choice bill to give the funding to families and let them choose the best education provider for their kids. It passed um, early, earlier this week at a committee on a party-line vote, 10 to 4. That's great news. It's a, it's a historic vote. And then today... Uh, it goes to the House floor. Hopefully they can get it done. The Senate already passed their universal school choice bill easily by a vote of 18 to 13. Uh, but historically, the Texas House has blocked school choice because, uh, you know, earlier in the regular session, 24 so-called Republicans joined all the Democrats to block education freedom during the regular session, even though Greg Abbott has been a huge supporter of school choice, making it um, – 
a, a priority during the regular session. He's been touring the state. He's calling special sessions. That's why they're voting on it again. Uh, so Abbott has been a, a huge leader on school choice. But you have people like uh, Hugh Shine, Travis Clardy, Drew Darby, uh, who some of them you've sent their own kids to private school or were endorsed by Randy Weingarten's union herself, and they've, they've blocked school choice. And their, their argument has been, well, you know, I know all these other states have done this, and I know I'm a Republican and it's on my party platform. I know that 88 percent of Texas Republican primary voters supported on the ballot just last year, but they vote against it because they, they, they try to have their cake and eat it, too, by trying to say that, well, I'm in a rural district, and in rural districts, they'll say, quote, the public school is the only option. But in the next breath, with a straight face, they'll try to look you in the eyes and, and tell you that, well, if we have school choice, that's going to destroy my fantastic rural public school. But wait, which one is it? It's like the two-button meme where the guy's sweating. He doesn't know which one to, to choose. You can't say both of these things at the same time. If, if you don't have any exit options, well, your, your schools aren't going to be defunded because they're funded based on the amount of students in them. If no one leaves, you – you have nothing to worry about. And if your schools are so great, you said they're fantastic, well, you, you doubly shouldn't have anything to worry about uh, by giving families a choice. Uh, the reality is the 10 most rural states in the country have already passed some form of private school choice legislation. If you look at West Virginia, much more rural state from, than Texas, they were the first state to go universal on school choice, passing it for every single family. And if you look historically, Maine and Vermont, uh, more, much more rural than Texas, they have the oldest private school voucher programs in the country. It started in the late 1800s, and they passed school choice programs specifically for kids in rural areas that didn't even have public schools because they were so rural. They understood, well, maybe we could give the funding to families, let them choose another public school, or use that scholarship to go to a private school, even a religious school. And so they figured out over 100 years ago, in Maine and Vermont, that not having a lot of options because you're a rural area is an argument to expand opportunities, not to restrict it. So maybe people in Texas can figure out what they found out a long time ago in Maine and Vermont, that if you don't have choice, well, let's give parents choice in the form of scholarships. And so hopefully they get it done in Texas. Uh, if not, Greg Abbott has uh, has um, laid down the gauntlet and said, we're going to get school choice done, quote, the easy way or the hard way. And what he means by that is you either show up for your party platform and get it done uh, during the special session, or he's going to engage in uh, the elections and put it to voters. And it's a very popular issue among voters. You get a new house and pass it during the next session. Yeah, as it should be. And for all of our listeners who are in the state of Texas this morning, uh, you may want to call your uh, representatives in the, the Texas legislature and tell them what you think about school choice and these options of uh, providing that for families and funding uh, students, not systems. So um, you have at least a few more hours to do that uh, before the vote is supposed to occur. I think that's at 10 a.m. Uh, Central this morning is, is anticipated. Corey? Yeah, it should, yeah, at least the debate should start at that point. We don't know exactly when the when the vote will be, but uh, yeah, call all morning and and urge especially your Republican legislators to vote for their party platform to vote for parents. Um, it, it's amazing in 2023 after all the school closures and 
and critical race theory being exposed and, and gender ideology, even in, in Texas schools. It, it happens in blue states and red states. We've seen videos surfacing from accuracy and media showing just that. This happens in Texas, too. You should have a choice. Parents are the primary decision makers for their kids. Your kids don't belong to the government. That's a deep, far leftist, communist idea. And it needs to be rejected every step of the way and rooted out, especially in places like Texas. If you want to save our state, save our country, well, you need to win the institutions back. You need to win um, uh, the, the future generation. And the best way to do that is to give families a choice to take their kids to schools that actually align with their values and don't teach uh, the garbage that they're teaching in so many places. Yeah, because unlike what Joe Biden says, we do not co-parent with the government. And so, Corey DeAngelis, in just the last few minutes I have with you this morning, and always appreciate your advocacy uh, for school choice, for parental rights, and for students, um, really, to not be indoctrinated by the regime of the radical leftists. Um, Tell us a little bit more about your book, where we can find it, The Parent Revolution, Rescuing Your Kids from the Radicals Ruining Our Schools, that is coming in May 2024. Yeah, I'm really excited about this book. Um, just sent it to the editor for final proofing, and it, it, it goes through a lot of why we've seen such big victories for school choice lately, about parents waking up, about it becoming a political winner, and a lot of stories of battles between myself and Randy Weingarten and other uh, hypocrites who fight against school choice for others but but send their own kids to private school. So it's a, a, a never-ending um, uh, amount of of experiences and on-the-ground information. So it's the Parent Revolution coming out in May 2024. You can get it basically anywhere. It's already available for pre-order now uh, on Amazon, at Walmart, uh, basically any major bookseller, uh, Barnes & Noble. So just look up the Parent Revolution, Corey DeAngelis. You'll find it for pre-order. Excellent. And uh, how would you encourage parents to get involved and be part of the parent revolution? Do you cover that in the book as well? Yeah, and we also lay out some uh, some other things you can do besides just uh, pushing for school choice bills. There's also you want to take over the school boards, uh, tips for other legislation uh, like the Parental Bill of Rights and to um, to root out gender ideology in the schools as well. So that's a it's a holistic approach, and, um, yeah, you can get it at, again, Amazon, basically anywhere. Uh, Google the, uh, the Parent Revolution by Corey DeAngelis. Excellent. Well, the book is The Parent Revolution, Rescuing Your Kids from the Radicals, Ruining Our Schools by Corey DeAngelis. And so appreciate your time this morning, Corey. And uh, we will be praying for the state of Texas this morning. If you live in Texas, again, uh, you may want to call your representatives before they vote or even start that debate on that important legislation this morning. And we will be right back with more here on Jenna Ellis in the Morning. Alicia had found herself in an unplanned pregnancy and wasn't sure what to do. She searched for pregnancy services and found a preborn network clinic where she was counseled, supported, and offered a free ultrasound. After seeing her baby and hearing the heartbeat, she cried. She was certain she would keep her baby forever. 
Leisha gave birth to a baby girl who is smart, beautiful, and full of life. Often, she visits that same clinic and receives free clothes, diapers, and more. Because of your generous support, Preborn writes 200 stories just like these every day. $28 can be the difference between the life and death of a child. When a mother meets her baby on ultrasound and hears their heartbeat, it's a divine connection and doubles a baby's chance at life. Let's join together and help mothers in crisis choose life. Just dial pound 250 and say the keyword baby. That's pound 250 baby or visit preborn.com. That's preborn.com. All gifts are tax deductible and 100% of your donation goes towards saving babies. Speaking truth with love. This is Jenna Ellis in the morning. Welcome back. And we are highlighting this morning um, everything going on in the Marxist capture of our institutions and specifically education institutions. And so I can think of no one better to come on for this next segment than the co-founder of Moms for Liberty, Tina Deskovich. Um, Tina, we really appreciate everything uh, that you and Moms for Liberty do. And um, first of all, congratulations on being labeled a hate group for simply advocating for you know parental rights and um, the fundamental right to train our children um, and that we don't co-parent for the, uh, with the government. So that's, that's actually a, a mark that you are over the target and really a threat to the left. And you have um, posted on social media that uh, Moms for Liberty is uh, going to to primary, um, basically, or, or challenge every single school board seat that is open across the country. That's the goal. So um, let's talk about the organization and that goal and why it's so important uh, to engage in our education system. Yeah, happy to talk about education. Of course, anytime Tiffany Justice and I, uh, my co-founder, we're both former school board members. We served from 2016 to 2020 in separate school districts. We didn't even know each other, but we like to say we saw behind the education curtain while we served. And all of America saw behind the education curtain in 2020 when these lessons were streamed into people's homes, into their living rooms and their kitchen tables. And parents were shocked by what they found and what they saw and the quality of education that their children were receiving. And, you know, in, in the long run, it's a blessing that parents saw because they're organized and rising up and pushing back. And you are correct. Our goal is to have a Moms for Liberty chapter in every county in this country so that we are um, helping train and get people ready and prepared and and be able to run and challenge these. Some of these people have been sitting in school board seats for 20, 30, 40 years even. It's, it's insane. They're out of touch with what's happening in education, and they're completely captured and indoctrinated, if you will, um, by organizations like the National School Board Association or associations that are statewide. And you know, for, for the homeschool parents that may be listening, I hear from a lot of the homeschool community, well, you know, we don't really, um, not that they don't care about this issue, obviously we care about it, but they're not as involved necessarily because, well, why do, why do um, school board elections and all of that, um, why should we really pay attention to this because we've already taken our kids out of the system and so that doesn't really affect us. Um, what would you say in terms of the necessity of all conservatives and parents who are concerned about um, just society as a whole and ensuring that Marxist education for children isn't happening anywhere, um, why parents, regardless of whether they homeschool or they, or they do send their kids to a state-funded institution, uh, should care about these issues? 
I really appreciate the opportunity to talk about that. This is one of the most frustrating things I hear from people. And if you really look at the conservative movement and Republicans in general over the last, say, 20 years, they have just neglected public education. Uh, Homeschoolers obviously have neglected public education, you know, to protect their children and, and use their right to raise their kids and direct their education the way they see fit. But with Republicans focusing solely on school choice the last 20 years, they have just pulled out and given up um, education to Marxist radicals. And what we are seeing is the results of that, the riots in the streets, the lawlessness, people, kids that have grown that are now voters that hate America. Uh, this is a real problem. So you can pull your kids out. You can protect them. I encourage you to do that. Homeschool if you can. Private school if you've got a great one in your area. But 80% of American students are still in the public school system. So 20 years of trying to to drive um, just school choice hasn't really worked the way it needed to. And 80% of Americans are left behind. And with you know, there's a, there's a couple problems here. One they have been radicalized in the public education system, and they are the voters that are that we're seeing right now enter into um, the voting America. And so your 20% of your kids that you pulled out, great, but they're never going to win an election with 80% of the people that hate America, hate capitalism, and, and don't understand the founding principles and values of this country. So, um, Jenna, it's, it's, it's everybody's problem. We have chapter chairs. Um, Kit in, in Maryland, for example, she's a, a chapter leader. She has five kids. They aren't in public school, but she fights, fights, fights because she understands what's at risk for our country. Yeah, and Tina Duskovichu is the co-founder of Moms for Liberty and my guest this morning. Um, I really appreciate that response because um, in the same way that conservatives need to be engaged in our civil society in terms of voting on every issue and saying that obviously um, policies and institutions that maybe we don't participate in, um, like for example, the justice system. I mean, people may not have an ongoing uh, court case, whether it's civil or criminal or even know anyone who does, but that doesn't mean that we shouldn't engage in ensuring that we have conservative uh, judges and originalist judges because they will eventually um, affect policy that does affect us. And so, you know, to say that that we should only engage in institutions that we are directly a part of, I think, um, misunderstands the responsibility that all of us have for civil society as a whole, even though obviously the biblical worldview also says that we each individually are responsible for Uh, our own families and our own children. And God gives children to parents, not to the government. We don't co-parent with the government, but we need to have a more um, holistic view of our own participation in civil society in all of these issues. And so how are you seeing, uh, Tina, the, the transformation really of this, of this understanding of why school boards um, in particular and those elections are so important that maybe we didn't really highlight um, in the last decade and but we're seeing this um, really uh, parent revolution that parents are engaging in school boards and, and they're becoming just so much more aware of these issues. It's really wonderful how parents are starting to engage over the last couple of years. Uh, you know, Moms for Liberty, we work hard to train them to, to work with them to, to, excuse me, to build relationships, uh, with the leaders in their district or replace them if they are radicals and get them out and away from children. Um, the role of a school board member is so vital and so important, and I think we have neglected it. I, it's, it's super frustrating within the Republican Party, for example. Uh, you know, when I even 
So I served from 2016 to 2020. I ran again in 2020 and lost my election in a red county to a radical liberal. Um, The Republican Party did not get involved in my race, even though I was an active member of the executive committee there. Um, You know, I think overwhelmingly they thought I was doing a good job. They just didn't really care about school board races. And so um, the Democrat Party in my race, for example, the state Democrat Party in Florida uh, came down, uh, brought people into my district to knock doors for my opponent. The local Democrat Party did. The state teachers union uh, supported her and came down and knocked doors for her. And I couldn't get anybody from my party to get involved because they just didn't care about public education. So having all eyes on public education now, having parents involved, um, all sides of the political process involved is only going to make it better. And if we could just back up for one second to another crucial reason why this is important, two-thirds of American fourth graders are not reading on grade level. And I hope everyone heard me say that. It means one-third of kids in America right now can read on grade level. And if you dig into the black and Hispanic communities, only 21% of Hispanic kids can read and only 17% of black kids can read on grade level. What kind of voting society do we have that can, that can fulfill their civic duties as part of being American citizens if they can't even read? Mm, and and that just goes then to the future of our society. Um, and and in, I mean, regardless of even understanding basic civics, if you can't even read at a proper grade level, then um, you know you're you're definitely not going to be in depth in in any of the other issues that um, are part of America's founding and America's fabric and understanding um, how to be engaged citizens um, when these children reach a voting age and an adult age. And, um, and so what, with your experience actually serving on, um, on a school board, um, what was the thing that maybe was the most surprising to you that, um, that parents who haven't been specifically involved in state funded institutions and and how all this runs that may, uh, maybe would surprise them, um, that, that we need to know about how all of this works. The power of the teachers' unions. And I live in Florida, where the teachers' unions, it's a right-to-work state. They are nearly even a fraction as strong as the teachers' unions in Chicago and Los Angeles, for example. Uh, But the power of the teachers' union in every single district in this country is astonishing. Uh, And when you realize that they are the ones that have been putting up candidates that have been sitting on these school boards for 40 years, you realize that the teachers' union has been bargaining with the teachers' union sitting on school boards for decades in your district. And the bargaining table, you know, they don't go to the bargaining table anymore just for salary. It has it has everything in these contracts. They are hundreds of pages long. The start times for schools, days off, half days for schools, it, everything, everything, the budget, everything has to do with the teachers' union contract. And so when they've been putting their people on the boards and negotiating with themselves, nobody has been representing kids. Nobody's been representing families. No one's been representing taxpayers for a very long time in the education system. So the reason, Moms for Liberty, you opened up this whole conversation saying that, you know, we've been labeled by Southern Poverty Law Center as an anti-government extremist group and a hate group, and we get labeled everything from racist to bigot, you name it, we've been called it. Um, it's because we're upsetting that balance of power. We are going right in and trying to take power away from the teachers' union and give it back to parents and families and people and community members and and taxpayers, and the the unions don't like it. 
Well, and it seems, um, and, and gr- again, great job and congratulations on on all of the labeling because um, that just shows that you're doing uh, great work and that um, these these institutions that have had so much power, like the teachers unions, are really afraid that you're encroaching on that. And for the parents that are waking up, um, that's obviously really important to get all of them engaged and actually have really good candidates to run for uh, school boards. What about state legislatures? Um, are they waking up? I mean, there's, and we just had Corey DeAngelis on in the last segment um, talking about, um, you know, some of these bills that have now been passed in some of the states. Um, are we seeing an effort broadly from legislatures to focus on this issue? I believe so. You know, Corey's doing a great work in the school choice movement. Um, we've partnered with him on, on several events and things. He came and spoke at the one we held in Iowa. We had Governor Kim Reynolds come out and kick it off. It was a, um, a rally, giving parents a voice rally. And, uh, you know, you see these states right now. It's School choice is is sweeping the nation, I feel like. Florida, um, full school choice. Iowa, full school choice. Arizona. Uh, so legislators, legislators are are really starting to understand the importance of it. But I think the parental rights movement is what's giving them the um, the okay, if you will, to stand in that space and vote in that way. So you know they've been trying to get school choice passed in states for a very long time. So what's the difference now? And I would say it's the grassroots ground game of parents being awake and understanding, showing up um, in the um, legislative sessions and speaking at committee hearings, um, holding rallies. Our parents are um, having state legislative days where they have a legislative agenda. For example, just this past legislative session, uh, our chapter's got 24 bills uh, in seven states across the finish line that had to do either with school choice or uh, uh, parents' bill of rights or, um, you know, stopping gender ideology being taught in school or curriculum transparency bills. So, I, you know, I, th- I attribute everything, of course, with Moms for Liberty to the ground game, to the grassroots movement, to people showing up. Legislators tell our moms time and time again, thank you. You know, we've been up here trying to pass this bill for two years, three years, and there's hundreds of people in red shirts chanting red for Ed or (laughs) calling them names. And there's never anyone there to speak in support. And so uh, I think that our movement has had a lot to do with, with, with getting school choice and other things across the finish line in these state houses. And, and we're so appreciative of the work that Moms for Liberty does for parental rights, which, um, of course, is a protected right um, that, that parents have to direct um, the, um, the health, education, welfare of their children and to, um, to be that arbiter um, that the government does not determine the best interests of children in the context of education and that we should have school choice. And um, for, for people who may not be as familiar with Moms for Liberty, but through this conversation, Tina, um, um, want to get engaged, and you have chapters all across the country. Uh, how can parents and, um, and even anyone who's interested in parental rights, um, whether it's even you know an uncle and aunt or a grandparents, you know anyone who is concerned about parental rights, how can they get involved and support Moms for Liberty? Yeah, we are Moms for Liberty, but as you just mentioned, we we have dads. We have a couple chapters that are run by dads. Uh, they're the chapter chairs. We have aunts, uncles, grandparents, anybody that's concerned about public education or the threat of you know us losing parental rights right now in this day, which we are losing. Um, they can go to momsforliberty.org. On the front page of our website is a big map. Uh, all of the gold counties mean there's a chapter there. You can click on it and join your chapter. And if your county is still dark blue, that means you need a chapter and you can click on it and start a chapter. So 
Uh, we are in, as you said, 48 states, 300-plus chapters, but there are 3,000 counties, and there are 50 states, so we have a ways to go. Yeah, and I would love to see this map. I have it uh, pulled up on my laptop here, and um, you know, there's a lot of gold on it, but there's still also a lot of blue. I'd love to see that entire map turn gold, and um, to have you know interested uh, parents and and again grandparents and aunts, uncles, anybody who um, who's interested in preserving fundamental rights, get engaged and get involved and open a chapter and uh, really take back. Uh, education, not only for um, for parents, but but to ultimately have the best product for children, because children um, deserve to not be indoctrinated by the government. And um, and so in just the last minute or so that I have with you, um, Tina, and really appreciate your time this morning. What about churches? Are you seeing churches that are also engaging and using their role to help protect uh, parents and parental rights? Mm, do you want the honest answer? Because I'm going to say no. Absolutely. Uh, I, that's I, yeah, I will tell you. I mean, there's a few churches here and there, but uh, in my opinion, churches are they're, they're cowards. Um, I think America I is that. still, it started during COVID more than anything, and it is still plagued with fear, fear of the mob, fear of being canceled, fear of the mean phone calls. Um, pastors, by nature, kind of like most teachers, they, they're there to nurture and care, and they don't, they just can't seem to take the hits. And so I will tell you, um, there, are, there are churches that, we you know, our chapters need meeting locations desperately. Like, they have monthly chapter meetings, and They'll hold them in restaurants, and then Antifa calls and harasses the restaurant, and then they kick us out. And so the same thing is wow. happening with churches. In the beginning, a lot of churches would host us, and uh, a lot of them have you know, they get the, the, mean, the mean phone calls, and then they well, decide if you, not to host the following month. If you are a pastor, maybe consider supporting Moms for Liberty, supporting parental rights, and being a shepherd actually, of your flock. So, Tina Deskovich, really appreciate your time. Go to momsforliberty.org, and we'll be right back with more. If you're like most of us, you're paying way too much for healthcare. That's why I want to tell you about a ministry that has been meeting the healthcare needs of hundreds of thousands of Christians, and that's Christian Healthcare Ministries, chministries.org. Christian Healthcare Ministries is cost-sharing made easy. For over 40 years, this unique model has allowed believers to choose their own doctors without worrying about networks or waiting periods, since they are not insurance, but a faith-based alternative to insurance. Members not only get advantages from the affordability, flexibility, and reliability of CHM, but they also receive access to 24-7 telehealth services at no additional cost. It's no surprise that doctors across the country appreciate working with CHM, and so will you. It all starts with a visit to chministries.org slash AFR. That's chministries.org slash AFR. Christian Healthcare Ministries is the longest serving health share ministry serving all 50 states. Share the good news with a friend too. chministries.com slash AFR. Make the switch today with any time enrollment. Speaking truth with love. This is Jenna Ellis in the morning. Welcome back. And we are talking this morning on a great Friday about uh, parental rights in education and also the Marxist left capture of institutions like higher education and also K through 12 education, why it's so important 
for parents, even if you are homeschool parents like my family was. I am the pro- I am the product of a homeschooling family. I'm so grateful for the ministry uh, that my parents provided uh, for me and my brothers um, to train us up in um, a homeschooling environment, so that then um, we would be founded in a Christian worldview, substantive, systematic theology. Um, of course, all of the things that you should learn in school: reading, writing, arithmetic, all of that. Um, but that was then also the the um, the groundwork for also being able to have a substantive Christian worldview and education in history um, and world history and um, reading the Bible daily. I mean, this is so important. And so for all of the homeschool parents out there, I applaud you. Um, Thank you for for your ministry and your discipleship of your children. And and yet we cannot forget what uh, Tina Deskovich, uh, co-founder of Moms for Liberty, just said in the previous segment that approximately 80% of of school-aged children are still becoming products of state-funded education. And so we can't forget about that. It almost seems like, um, and this is very over-generalizing, and I I get that, but it, it seems like a lot of Christians and conservatives think of homeschooling and private schooling as the more conservative Christian uh, playground, um, no pun intended, and then the state-funded system as more of the Democrat um, leftist solution, um, and, and it's almost like a bifurcated um, awareness in in how we view education, and um, it's really not that way. And and I know that a lot of um, homeschool groups kind of tend to project that, but we really do need to, as Christian conservatives who are responsible for our civil government, which includes, unfortunately, state-funded education. Um, That's an unfortunate part of our system. Um, That's why we are working to fund students, not system, and we being people like Corey DeAngelis, like Christian conservatives who are engaged in these um, legislative policy issues. Uh, But we can't forget that we have to be engaged on every level. Policy is not just a touch point when we happen to agree with or want to interact with one specific policy issue, like, for example, pro-life or free speech or, you know, some of these things that are considered um, red meat within our wheelhouse of issues that we care about. We shouldn't just interact with or have touch points on different policy issues. We should be engaged citizens in every aspect of our civil society. And that includes everything that the government spends its time or money on or is in control of. And that also includes state-funded education. Um, as as uh, Tina mentioned, the children that go through state-funded education will end up being our next majority voting base. And we're already seeing the product of that uh, with millennials now being the largest voting block um, in America and seeing how uh, the statistics are showing, and we've talked about this on this program before, the statistics are showing that more and more young people are trending of voting leftist liberal Democrat. And why is that? Well, maybe um, their education and their lack of substantive biblical worldview, systematic theology in churches leads them to believe in the leftist view of the social issues, for example. Even people, um, young people who would profess being Christians have been caught up in the sexual revolution and have this very um, completely... um, 
disjointed and not comprehensive or consistent worldview of substantive policy issues. And that is right now an obligation of parents and also just good citizens. I mean, I don't have children yet, but um, I still want to engage and influence civil society where I can, but especially for parents to train children in substantive worldview that it's not just a compartmentalized view of our faith and that salvation is the only thing that we need to believe and Jesus is kind of an add-on into our lives. It needs to be that the biblical worldview is the foundation and the starting place of literally everything else we think about and how we think about every other substantive area of of life and philosophy and of subject matter. Um, the, the Bible has a view and there is either truth or a false view of every single subject matter. It's it's not that you have, um, for example, healthcare that is not moral versus immoral. It's just amoral. It's just a, a subject matter that, that is totally unrelated to our biblical worldview and our faith. Um, everything that we think about healthcare as a subject matter, um, whether it comes to um, end-of-life bills, whether it's, it's from um, abortion legislation, whether it's how to uh, treat um, patients, how, I mean, even things like insurance, for example, and whether we provide and cover insurance for non-citizens. I mean, all of these things are interrelated and there is a truthful biblical worldview analysis of these policy issues, um, or there is a false one. There is something else. There is something that is either diametrically opposed and antithetical to the truthful biblical worldview, or maybe even just a slight perversion or incomplete view. And so we need to make sure, first and foremost for ourselves, that we understand the biblical worldview, and then we apply that to all of these different subject matters so that we will have a comprehensive and consistent view of not only our substantive faith, but also everything else that we do, which is living out our Christian faith. This is why Speaker Johnson says, you want to know what I think about something? Go to the Bible. And he was roundly mocked for that by these leftists who think, well, you know, what is what is the, the little, um, you know, what would Jesus do bracelet have to say about your work as Speaker of the House? Because they don't know. They are totally unaware of how the Bible isn't just a, a book of, you know, fairy stories or a book of um, history or, you know, some of the things that they think of when they think of the Bible. The Bible is God's sufficient revelation to us as Christians for how to live rightly. And the Bible actually has very um, little to say complete but very little to say on the actual subject of how to become saved, how to come into a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. The rest of the Bible is how to live out our Christian life. It shows um, the historical Jesus, the, the, the movements of God throughout history from the very beginning, the origin and the foundation of the universe in the beginning God, all the way until the end of all things in the book of Revelation. And if you are a um, dispensationalist um, theologian that is pre-tribulation like me, then you um, then you will understand and believe that the author of all things started with how he created and told us truthfully, inerrantly, and accurately 
um, what happened historically in a literal Genesis, and then told us what will happen at the end of all things. He is an author and gave us a complete view of his story or history. And so we need to be aware Christians of not only understanding his grand narrative and the truth, but then how to apply that eternal timeless truth to the issues of our day. And one of the issues and the big issues of our day is also parental rights and to ensure that parents are Uh, the ones who God has through his word has said that he has given children to parents, not to the government, not to anyone else. And can, uh, can people become parents by way of adoption? Absolutely. And we see that also in um, the story of salvation and the truth about salvation is that uh, Gentiles were adopted into the family of God and grafted in. And adoption is a beautiful um, mirror of of the salvation story. And so when we talk about parents, it's it's not necessarily just biological parents. It's who has the uh, the gift from God of caring for and ultimately mentoring and discipling children. And here in America, we have a U.S. Constitution that specifically limits the power of government. Limited and separated powers of government is the best way that we can ensure to protect freedom and liberty in this country. And when we talk about parental rights, the Supreme Court pre-2000 had followed the doctrine that parents have a fundamental right to direct the upbringing education and care of their children. And so parents were assumed to be the best caretakers for their child unless proven through due process Unfit. So there was a presumption in the law that a parent would have the best interests of their children in mind. And obviously parents can make very drastically different decisions for their children um, family to family. But that was within their right to direct those choices. And there was a presumption in the law that parents were fit, that they had uh, the best interests of their children in mind. And our nation historically has consistently maintained that parents possess that fundamental right to raise their children as they see fit, including in their faith. But then in a Supreme Court split decision um, in Troxel versus Granville, this is a case that if you are interested in parental rights, you should know that in 2000 opened the door for individual judges and states to apply their own rules to parental rights. And so rather than upholding or continuing to uphold the parental rights doctrine that was clearly established in prior precedents that was in line with an originalist reading of the Constitution, because what does the Constitution not enumerate specifically rights to Congress to determine and legislate on? Education. That is a big thing. If you look at Article 1, Section 8 of the U.S. Constitution, there is not a specific enumerated power to Congress to legislate on the issue of education. The executive branch on the federal level, the entire Department of Education and appropriating money on the federal level for that is wholly unconstitutional. I'm glad to see that there are Republican presidential candidates now that are suggesting that they would dismantle the United States Department of Education. It should be. It is an unconstitutional agency. There is no power given by which they have any um, control or jurisdiction over that particular subject matter. Uh, President Trump had suggested 
that he might dismantle the Department of Education, um, like many other things, um, frankly, that he, that he promised that ultimately did not come to fruition during his term. I wish that he had done that. I supported him in that advocacy, and I would support in that advocacy um, any uh, sitting United States president that wanted to get rid of the Department of Education. Um, and, and so we have to look at where the Constitution ultimately provides that. Well, if you look at the Ninth and Tenth Amendment, all powers not specifically enumerated to the federal government or through the state constitutions given to the states, that power is reserved to who? We the people. And so the Ninth and Tenth Amendment says that all power um, that, you know, that's not given to the federal government is re- reserved to the states or to the people. We, the people, actually have some powers of government. Government doesn't like to talk about that, and certainly the left doesn't like to talk about that. But we, as Christian conservatives, need to talk about that. We have parental rights as a fundamentally constitutionally protected power because we don't give that right away in any way. Parental rights are substantively protected by our system of government. And yet, in this 2000 ruling, and this is why it's so important to have originalist judges who understand the structure of our civil government, this 2000 ruling said, well, there's no clear precedent now. And so instead of the parental rights doctrine that, you know, we have continued throughout American history, we're not going to open the door for judges and states to apply their own rules to parental rights. This is why you see, like in the state of California, And even though Gavin Newsom vetoed it, he basically admitted through his veto that judges already can determine their own metric for the best interests of the child. And when you leave that up to individual states to maybe take into account, for example, whether a parent uh, affirms a child's preferred gender and that that's not the best interest of the children if, if a parent doesn't and on that basis you can remove custody, that is opening the door for preclusion of parental rights in homeschooling, for example. Because if you are a faith-based parent that trains up your child in substantive Christian doctrine, well, that's probably not in the best interest of that child, according to a Marxist leftist judge. And this is where this is going and why it is so incredibly important that we continue to advocate for our U.S. Constitution and rights as the original designers of our constitution understood that. Obviously, there is different application as we continue to have different issues arise, but though that was contemplated. It was contemplated by the founders that they couldn't anticipate literally every issue, I mean, technological advances, all of that. That's why we have the principles of government. We have the separation of powers. And when it comes to parental rights, we have to make sure that we are not conceding any of that ground. It's the same thing as how the right conceded the definition of marriage. And when we wanted to advance the sexual revolution, unfortunately, and have no-fault divorce and all of those kind of things because it benefited us somehow, we gave over the definition of marriage. And that has completely abused the entire system. With this, the Troxel ruling in 2000 opening the doors, we couldn't have possibly anticipated necessarily the total gender nonsense of our current age, but that's where it's going. So if we don't on principle maintain precedent in substantive rights like parental rights, we are going to see the consistent eroding of our rights, our freedoms and liberty, and ultimately our U.S. Constitution. It is so, so important that we continue to participate in our civil government. 
I want to thank my sponsors, Preborn and Christian Healthcare Ministries. Preborn Network Clinics have rescued over 200,000 babies from abortion, and every day they save 200 babies' lives. But they can't do it without our help. Will you head over to preborn.com slash AFR and sponsor an ultrasound? Christian Healthcare Ministries is the longest serving health cost sharing ministry, helping Christians pay for and pray for one another's medical bills. Make the switch today and start saving. Visit chministries.org slash AFR. That's chministries.org slash AFR.